Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. Today's Tuesday, March 1st. I'm Robert Mays. Fun show for you guys today. Sean Reed, who covers the Raiders for us, is going to be joining us a little bit later. We're going to do a set of conversations over the course of Combine Week with some of our writers from The Athletic about what we feel are kind of the most interesting teams heading into the 2022 offseason. We want to take advantage of all of us being in the same place, which is a rare opportunity. So we're going to be rolling those out really over the course of this entire week. So looking forward to you guys checking all of those out. Before we dig into that, though, this is the person I wanted to have on as we kicked off the 2022 offseason. Someone that I don't know how we've never had him on the podcast before, but we haven't. Somebody who is totally plugged in, somebody who has a really good sense of what's going on in the league, what are the conversations, and that is a huge part of this week. So I'm very thrilled to welcome senior writer for Yahoo Sports, Charles Robinson. Charles, thanks very much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I was you set me up there. I thought someone else was on the show and not me today. <laughs> <laughs> so I, it's funny for people who are not involved in this and, and aren't around the league and talking about it all the time because the combine to most outside observers is probably a draft event in their mind, right? Oh, yeah. It's totally pro- not. It's definitely not, right? And it's not at all. The, the, <laughs> so the combine, obviously, all the draft prospects are here and the testing is what they put on TV. But the combine is kind of this dark, shadowy part of the NFL calendar where all of these deals and conversations and wheeling and dealing happens in the evenings here and kind of the dark booths of various Indianapolis steakhouses and bars. And that's what I wanted to chat with you about. I wanted to talk about what the conversation is going to be in the spaces that we're going to occupy here over the next few nights. So just on a broad level here, what do you think is the biggest conversation topic that is going to be happening in Indianapolis over the next three or four nights. No question is the quarterbacks, right? Like there's just, there's no doubt it's the veteran quarterbacks. I, I was talking to an executive earlier today. He was prepping to go and to par- paraphrasing him here, he was like, you know, there's three quarterbacks in the top five, six, seven in the league that are going to be on the minds of like 12 general managers. At this <laughs> and, and it was funny though, because when he named the three, he left out Russell Wilson. So I actually think it's four. You know, he was uh, he was saying, obviously, Who are the Rogers, other three then? The Rodgers, Kyler Murray, because that whole mess, and then Deshaun, Deshaun Watson. Yeah. But, you know, you can, I think you can throw Russell Wilson in there. Um, and then you're going to get that whole B group of like Carson Wentz because, you know, Indy's trying to get away from that as quickly as they possibly can. Jimmy Garoppolo, um, you know, Marcus Bueller, you're talking about Marcus Mariota, J- you know, Jameis, what's going on with Jameis? Um, but yeah, the, the top rung though, those, those, uh, individuals, everyone wants to know what's going on with Rogers. Everyone wants to know what's going on with, 
uh, Watson's legal situation. When's it going to clear up? Everyone wants to know if Russell Wilson's really going to be available. Um, and and pretty much everyone just wants to know what, what the hell is going on with Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. Like people are like, this is, this is like airing of business right now that is a little uncommon um, with an upper echelon quarterback like that. Um, but I think it speaks to, I, I personally think people are missing a little bit. We can get into the Kyler Murray thing later, but I have a theory though about why this is becoming so public. So quickly. so let's run through this then. Okay. With Rogers. Sure. What is your sense of how this ultimately plays out? Um, I, I, I feel like I don't have a great handle on him the last month, really since the season ended. And I, I, my Rogers, the people I lean on for Rogers are, you know, it's people in his circle and, and seems to me like he's, he's being a little more coy with them than he has been in the past. But I think when you look at everyone is certain Devonte Adams is getting tagged, right? Like if they don't do a deal there, they're going to tag this guy. Uh, David yeah. Gattiari restructures his deal to add cap space. And they really, have a bunch of different levers to pull there, right? It's not just they, they Bakhtiari. Do. They're going to cut sure. people, and they have a bunch yeah. of other people that they can convert. They can create as much cap space, essentially, as they want. Absolutely. And and even if they do Rodgers, um, you know how it is, with the particularly avoidable years now being used as a, a tool. Hey, it'll kill us down the line, but we can spread out whatever the hit is. And who knows what the cap to. is going to be next year? I mean, you're spreading yeah. it out into an unknown world where it's likely going to explode. And the only reason that the teams that operate this way have even been bitten in the slightest over the last 18 months is because the cap cratered. We right. wouldn't even be talking about this shit right. if, if the cap had kept going up like it was going to. That's absolutely true. I But here's the thing with Rodgers that I think is really interesting is look at Tom Clements. So Tom Clements comes back into the fold, right, as quarterback's coach. So Rodgers' favorite. Um, hasn't been on staff since I want to say 2016. Adams is important to Rogers. They've clearly let people know he's not coming off of our roster. Okay. Um, they pulled the lever with Bakhtiari, but then Clements comes back into the fold. And you have to ask yourself, particularly at Clements age, is this a guy who's going to come back to that staff if he knows Rogers is leaving and, and Rogers is close enough to him that I think Rogers would have told him like, Hey man, I'm probably going to be here. This, to me, these are signals, I think, of what Rodgers has reflected in the last couple months, which is, hey, I'm getting along better with the front office. Brian Gutekunst, the, the general manager, is listening to me. I feel included, which is what I always wanted. So I feel like I'm seeing things that have Rodgers' fingerprints on. And, and I just don't see Clements coming back if Rodgers is going out the door. It just They're doing a lot of things right now that lean into, hey, we're listening to 12 and we're going to do what 12, you know, wants to do, you know, to, to keep this, this run moving forward. So I, I could be completely wrong on that, but that to me is, is it's indicative that of a front office that's actually starting to try and include him in, in some of the moves that they're making. It's always felt from the outside looking in, like it was a mutually beneficial situation. It was in everyone's best interest for him to just be back. The way that the roster is yeah. currently constructed, how close they are, he's going to have a better opportunity there than I think anywhere else he could possibly go. Everything about the tone with which he's discussed all of this stuff seems like it's changed over the yep. last few months. It just always felt like this is the outcome that made the most sense. And the, and the remember the head coach, Matt LaFleur, there was no one in that building last offseason who worked harder to keep this on the rails, keep Rogers on the rails and get him back into the fold than Matt LaFleur. And he was in a bad spot because 
you know, he was sort of that buffer between Rogers and the front office. Like Rogers pissed off at the front office, was not happy, felt like, you know, um, the culture was not one of inclusivity. And yet LaFleur was like, we cannot let this guy go. Like he was, it was, I mean, behind the scenes, Matt LaFleur was like, if he goes, we're going to lose double digit games and we're all going to be fired in a year or two years or whatever it is. Like we're going to be <laughs> ending the career of this entire coach and probably the front office um, if we let this guy out the door. So I think that also, um, that hasn't changed. Like LaFleur is still like, we got to make this work. And, and I think everybody knows that. Plus they got an extended look at Jordan Love. You know, like, I mean, probably a little further away from him being <laughs> what they thought they were getting in the first round when they took him. But, um, you know, it's and and remember, there's still enough time with love that you can get a couple more years out of Rogers before you got to make a decision. And if you feel like love is the guy, OK, well, you know, take some time, take a couple more years. That's fine. And then have the transition when it has that. So we look at these teams that ultimately you laid out the numbers, let's say it's three to four quarterbacks, even if you count the consolation prizes like Jimmy and Wentz, let's say it's six quarterbacks, you have 10 teams that may be looking to change quarterbacks. Where does Jordan Love fall into that equation? If you're one of those teams that's looking for kind of a break in case of emergency option, do you think the Packers would listen to a phone call about that if they were willing to commit to Rodgers for two, three more years? I don't get that sense. Um, like I feel like Gutekunst is still very dedicated to to keeping him in the fold. Like he doesn't want it. There's there's a difference between like including Rogers and in things, changing the culture a little bit, and then what, waving a white flag. And I think trading it's an admission that you probably don't want to make, right? Right. You, yeah. It's a, you yeah. lose a lot of face. <laughs> I mean, you'd be waving white. You'd, you'd, it would be like, hey, we made a mistake with love. We're going to wave the white flag here. And I don't know what his market would be like. So, for example, Chris Ballard really was a big proponent. He, he liked Jordan Love a lot going into the draft. Obviously, the the Colts are not thrilled with the fact that Carson Wentz will not listen to them when it comes to um, not making three or four plays in any given game that you're just like, can't possibly be made by a veteran quarterback making $30 million. Um, and, but I don't know that love is really somebody that, that Ballard would still consider to be an answer or somebody he would want to go after now at this point. I don't, I don't think so. I just don't think love is, is, I think you have to have a willing, you know, a willingness to, to let the guy go. And I, I don't see, that that's the case in Green Bay. That makes sense. All right. So let's, if, if we operate as though Rodgers is staying in Green Bay, mm-hmm. we move to Russell Wilson, who, again, you mentioned was not in the group that somebody talked about right. with you earlier. What do you think ultimately happens with Russell Wilson? Well, so the reason why, um, okay, so I talked to an ASC team that did a lot of work on Russ during this season. And um, they came to the conclusion by the end of the year that, this was a guy who was going to cost like basically, you know, three first round picks. It was going to be like a Deshaun Watson trade when, when those terms got out there, three first, two seconds, blah, 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 blah. And, and that there was going to have to be a contract adjustment on the other side of it. In other words, Russ is going to, you're going to rip up basically the remainder of Russ's contract. You're going to, you're going to lock him in for another five years um, on your dime. And that it was just too, too much. It was too expensive. And so they, Believe me, and they had, <laughs> they definitely had the motivation to want to go after Russell Wilson. And um, 
the the cost was just too. I, I think they felt like the cost was just too much, and what it, what they felt like it would cost. Plus, they hadn't gotten any indication from Seattle, and there were ties between the two front offices that Seattle was really even interested in picking up the phone on that. Now that could change, obviously, and that's what this next week's going to be about. Is as you said, <laughs> whether it's going to be, you know. Prime or uh, the JW or I don't know. Shula's still there. Shula's was the old. Shula's you know, is in the West and it is no longer here. It's no longer I, there. I, yeah, but, I'm, I'm pretty sure they've redone this entire redone hotel it. that I'm currently yeah. sitting in. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So like, you know, champs and like all these, all the, the, you know, it rotates every few years, you know, <laughs> but, but yeah, that's where these conversations, but I, I guarantee you someone's going to pull John Schneider aside and say, Hey man, like, is there any shot here? Like you, are you even willing to listen? Um, I just think that the cost is is so prohibitive, and um, I felt like they entered last off season in a far worse place than they did this off season, um, which is weird. But I think Russ did you a mean good job. The relationships there, relationships there. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I fe- I felt like he kind of was burned. He felt burned by the organization, like going into the the um, off season last year, and. Um, even though he he wasn't publicly proclaiming it, like his agent was definitely working behind the scenes to see if there was a way to to kind of extricate himself from from Seattle. And this one just feels a little bit different. Russ was good about keeping the genie in the bottle as the season came to a close. Um, I didn't feel like he and Pete were butting heads as much. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. It's uh, I, I don't want to I don't want to guarantee anything because I actually thought there was a chance Matt Stafford would stay in Detroit last year. And then all of a sudden I was completely wrong about that. So um, it all depends on, you know, if people look at the Rams and say, geez, the Rams are really aggressive in going and getting Matt Stafford. And um, we need to do that now. We're, we're one player away. Like if, if like, okay, the Panthers, like the Panthers, I think are a good example. The Panthers, I think could transform Liable to do team. anything. <laughs> yeah. And I, and David Tepper, absolutely. Like, I mean, they really could, David Tepper could sit there and go, you know what? I've, I've had it like enough of this. We did, went through the Teddy experience. I didn't like that. We went through the Sam experience. I didn't like that Sam Darnold experience. Um, so th- we just need to resolve this. So uh, what, what's it going to take? What do we have to you know, strip out of our draft picks? The Ra- if the Rams can do it, we have a pretty good team right now, which I think they actually do have a pretty good base. If they get the right quarterback in there, it could change their fortunes pretty quickly. And, you know, Matt Rule – like this is this is it. I mean, he's, he's got to something's got to happen this season, you know, for him. Um, whether it's fairly or unfairly, you know, I, I think David Tepper is the pressure is going to be on Matt Rule from David Tepper this year. So the fact that it's a price tag issue with Russell it makes mm-hmm. me think about it. Only takes one team, right? It takes one desperate team. So you mentioned right. Carolina. I was going to ask you, what do you think is the team that is most desperate for quarterback? What is the team backed against a wall that would be willing to say, you know what? Fuck it. We're, we're, we're going to trade three first round picks. We don't even care because we need to do this. Carolina probably would have been my answer because they're such a wild card mm-hmm. in these. But is there another team that you think might fit that bill? Ooh, um, I think Denver, you know, like I, in terms of like the quote unquote desperate um, teams, I look at Watson because I'm like, that was so bad. (laughs) Like this is like the teams that were involved, you know, that stayed involved in some way, shape or form. It's a pretty clear indication of, Hey, we're willing to, to roll the dice on this one. And even though Carolina or excuse me, even though Denver, um, there were parts of the front office and executive branch in Denver that they, they just wasn't, you know, um, 
it wasn't going to happen with Watson, but they were clearly interested. The thing is, though, with the ownership change, I don't know in terms of committing assets and then the contract and all these things that come with it. I don't know if that's something where you kind of have to cool your heels a little bit until you know what's going to happen with the future of ownership, because most court, big quarterback trades and the contracts that follow, like on Aaron Rodgers, I mean that that tends to be something that ownership um, wants to weigh in on. So. I don't know if that dynamic changes it um, as much. Uh, I, I still think, you know, like I said, Carolina is, is to me um, the one with the owner who really is is uh, prone to making a, a, a decision pretty quickly and and informing everyone else this is what we're going to do. Um, trying to think of who else. You know, Miami, I think you remove Miami now that flow, flow isn't there. Um, you know, Philly – I think the thing about Howie Roseman that's interesting to me is that he clearly always listens. Like even he came out and said, you know, Jalen Hurts is going to be their quarterback, all these things. I still think he is a listener. And if something comes down the pipeline that he, that really intrigues him, I think he would still be willing to, to think about it. Um, but I, I really truly believe Carolina is the one that I would keep an eye on in terms of um, sheer desperation and an owner that really is, is motivated when he has to be. I think that's the best answer. I think that Philly is operating from a position of strength. What makes them intriguing to right. me is just the sheer amount of resources and the fact that Howie is a tinkerer and a thinker, right? right. Like he's always going to be thinking about what is next for better or for worse. And what does that team look like with Russell Wilson? Obviously, it takes a lot to get him, but that fit made sense to me. But if the price tag isn't there, I don't think they're necessarily in such a weak place that they'd be willing to overpay for it in a right. way that these other teams might be. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere for their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So what is the conversation around Watson right now just from other teams? I don't want to talk about... I want to be careful how we talk about this because there's so many different layers to it, but what are teams saying about Deshaun Watson at this moment? They want to know... um first and foremost, what's going on with the grand jury. They're like, why, you know, because they were under the, they were under the impression that, Hey, it was end of January where that's going to be, you know, resolved. Oh, and then it was the end of February. Now it's now, at least from what Watson's legal camp is saying, they are under the impression that they will know by April 1st that, you know, whether or not a grand jury is going to recommend that or essentially say, Hey, he's got to plead to a felony or not. Um, it won't be anything but a felony. Like it's not, or they'll come back with a no bill, which is like, Hey, we didn't find the evidence here to support you having to plead to a felony. So once that is, um, off the table or on the table one way or another, either he's going to have to plead to a felony that changes everything. Um, or he doesn't have to plead to a felony. And now it's just going to be something that's based in civil court. Um, then you have teams that are, are going to, they want to know, is he definitely going into civil court in some of these cases? It sure looks like it. Like it, the, the last round of sort of motions that the judge heard, he was pretty clear where he's like, hey, Deshaun Watson needs to start sitting for depositions. Some of these women are sitting for depositions with his defense team. It's time for him to start sitting for depositions, at least with the women who have not um, gone the criminal route, basically worked with the Harris County prosecutor's office. So you know, it's, it's sort of a, it's, it's stages here. Stage one, grand jury stage two. Now we move on to, um, where it is civilly. And then stage three, which is, is at least from a football standpoint, really important is, is Deshaun Watson going to waive his no trade, you know? Um, because that certainly stood in the way of pretty much everyone, every team not named Miami, uh, last year up until the deadline. So this is something that's going to take a while to be resolved. We're not going to have any sort of clarity uh, on this in the next couple of weeks. I mean, before free feels, agency starts. It feels like, you know, I mean, if his legal team's right, we will have a pretty sizable piece of the puzzle um, by by April 1st. Okay. And and then after that, I to me, given that it's, it's likely that at least the first of the cases heads to civil court um, into a courtroom, it could be the draft, you know, again, we could be butted up against the draft where it's like they, they're hanging on to them into the, into the draft to see what exactly the options are. But yeah, it's not, you would have thought 11 months into 
this, you know, um, the legal process that we'd have a little more clarity doesn't feel that way. And it certainly doesn't feel that way for teams. Um, they're all kind of kicked back and, and waiting to sort of see what happens. So did you have a microscope today to read the Kyler Murray statement? Did you, uh, <laughs> did you have a <laughs> the tiny font? <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was interesting. What's your theory on this? What's, what's, what is your pet theory that you wanted to lay out? Okay, so my theory on this is this. Baker Mayfield, uh, if Baker Mayfield had gotten that deal done, okay, after year three with the Browns, if the Browns had been aggressive and said, you know what, let's lock him up uh, for 35 now, you know, then he's got the deal and now there's no, hey, he's going into his fifth year. Now we're, we're doing the fifth year to figure this out. Um, I think Eric Burkhart, who obviously is Kyler Murray's agent, smart, really smart guy. Okay. And it's not the first time he's, he's sort of publicly gone out and, and pushed a little bit in a negotiation, go look up Marcus May. Okay. The safety with the, with the jets. Um, I think that the pressure being put on is to try and get this deal done before next season, because you don't know what could happen in year four. Okay. He wasn't completely healthy in in year three okay and that's part of down the stretch he was not healthy this is becoming a consistent thing i think is one of the considerations that has to come into play here and so what happens if you're at burkhart and you're sitting there and you're looking at kyler and you're saying there's some risk on the table for us in year four so he goes into year four say something happens where there's a, a baker mayfield type of injury okay right something that you know disrupts his entire season that means we're going to go into year five okay and and it could also mean that if he has a Baker Mayfield type of injury and, and things go sideways and there's bad, there's sort of bad blood, bad juju between him and the team, which there was with Mayfield and the Browns. Um, maybe Cliff Kingsbury doesn't survive that. If there's a coaching change that could lead to a lot of different things. It's just, there's a lot of chance for, for this to be uh, for the, for the apple cart to be turned over in, in year four. So you try to get the deal done now. And I think that's part of why the pressure is being applied by Eric Burkhart publicly. He's trying to get the court of public opinion on his side. The only problem is he laid out a lot of things, but he didn't lay out the one thing that I'm sitting there reading it going, well, what's the number? Like, what? Well, okay, you're talking about all this. Well, what is a what is a market deal for a quarterback? That could be $50 million. For all yeah, is, the, is it the Josh Allen contract? I mean, if it's you know, the Josh Allen contract, do you feel comfortable about doing that when you consider what Kyler's history has looked like over the last couple of years? I don't know the answer to that. I don't think, I, I wouldn't be. I mean, it's, if I mean, is it the Josh Allen contract though? I mean, really? I mean, I, I don't know. Most agents, to me, particularly given the TV money coming in, everybody's no one's thinking. Let's do the third deal. Let's do the third. You know, let's okay. Here are the top five quarterback deals. Let's aim for number three. No, they all yeah, you're aim right. For, they all aim for number one. So, I, if you're Eric Burkhart, you're sitting there going, "Hey, you know what? Like Pat Mahomes, if he's the top of the heap, well, that was a dumb deal. He should have done a. He could have done a better deal than that." So that's why we're asking for 50 and oh, by the way, the TV money's coming in and the ancillary gambling money is coming in. And, you know, who knows, like you said, with the salary cap, where it's going, he doesn't want to short it. So I wouldn't be surprised if the number is 50. I don't know that it's 50, but I'm just saying, I, I, I don't suspect that it's a, a dollar less than the, the top quarterback deal out there right now. So if we're looking at the guys in that next tier down, is there a marriage between, let's call them consolation prize quarterbacks and team that needs a quarterback that makes the most sense to you? Whether it's um, Jimmy, Wentz, any of those guys. Uh, 
Wow, that's a really good question. Um, I think Garoppolo is the one, like if you want to say like Shades of Tannehill, like because that's what everybody's looking for. Who's the who's the damaged goods guy or, the, or whatever? Not, I don't even want to say damaged goods guy. That's not fair. Um, who is the player that has exhibited upside at some point in his career enough so to land a $100 million contract, okay, a franchise quarterback deal um, that – you know, still could be um, a player who not only comes in and, and battles it out with our starter, but maybe takes the job as Tannehill did from Marcus Mariota and then, you know, turns into a serviceable quarterback for the Titans. I think that's probably Jimmy because he's got the track record that's similar, made a Super Bowl. You know, if you believe him or not, you know, he really was not healthy down the stretch. He's had some good moments in, in San Francisco. Um, Kyle Shanahan is not the most Kyle's brilliant, but like, he's, he's a pressure coach. Like he's not going to be super patient all the time where there's any grinds hard on guys. And, you know, so I think some teams particularly that know Kyle are going to go, ah, it's okay. I mean, like, Kyle's a hard guy to work with. So maybe there's, there's, it's sort of like, well, geez, Adam Gase was a really tough guy. to work with. Me. That's why Ryan <laughs> Tannehill wasn't always, and I'm not saying Kyle's Adam Gase, by the way, I'm just saying like, there are, there can be those, those pressure coaches that, uh, sometimes quarterbacks never really get out of the doghouse with them. And, and so in terms of the match for Jimmy, um, it depends on what the money looks like, you know, um, for an acquiring team, because I think any team that would bring Jimmy in would want him in the $8 million a year range, $10 million a year range to be a competitive second option. Um, I, I personally think like Cleveland would make a lot of sense, like in terms of them needing a competitive second option to Baker. I think he fits um, the Stefanski sort of style of offense. Um, his physical tools, I think, fit the Stefanski style of offense. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think he's basically any team that misses out on any of the top tier options and needs a quarterback in the house he's going to be the guy that I think a lot of teams end up looking, you know, Pittsburgh is Pittsburgh really going to be happy with the options they have in house. Um, as you said, there's, there's a multi, I mean, Tampa Bay, um, if they, you know, I think Tampa might even be oddly interested in like Jameis, like bring Jameis back, which sounds completely crazy. Um, but you know, there are going to be a few teams out there that, that Jimmy, I think would, would be a, a very palatable option and, and, I don't think Cleveland's going to get in on them, but to me, that's the one where I think it probably would make the most sense. So Cleveland is an interesting team because I was, I'm curious, is there a team that you think is quietly in the quarterback market that we're not talking about enough with Cleveland? I don't even know how quiet it is because of the Mm -hmm. season that Baker had, but is there a team outside of Cleveland, Cleveland adjacent that is going to be sniffing around on quarterbacks that you think might surprise people? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I still think Cleveland is probably the one that, that is, is, uh, you know, people think it's resolved, but I still think that's a door that, that could open. Um, maybe, maybe Miami, although I, I think Flo being out of there probably gives Tua, um, it gives him a longer runway. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if Miami says maybe we need someone else in here to compete or be, you know, available if uh, this doesn't turn the corner we expect it to. Um Man, outside of that, I, it feels like the whole league. I mean, <laughs> New Orleans, it feels, I mean, Detroit, um, even with golf, I still think that, um, you know, 
there, there might be an opportunity for Detroit to add to the depth chart. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, other than the obvious teams, no, I mean, it's pretty much, there's, there's no like, wow, Minnesota, you know, is, is going to, is going to hit the iceberg with the Kirk, you know, cousins dead money and, and start looking for another quarterback or, um, you know, teams like that. I, I don't think there's any, like, that will just blow your mind. I could be wrong. <laughs> yeah. Cause you look at it. I mean, there aren't that many that are, I feel like Cleveland would be the one that would be quiet, but just all pretty again, obvious. Don't you feel like they're, yeah, all, like they're all pretty and, obvious? Well, the one that I think that would have been, wouldn't have been obvious based on the history with the quarterback, based on some of the success that they had would have been if the season had ended slightly different for the Colts, if it hadn't been as much of a disaster, I think they would have fit this, but now I think it's pretty out in the open. Yeah, that I think they're, they're willing to move on. I thought this was ultimately going to happen where he would fall out of favor with Reich just because it would be such a nightmare and such a headache that'd be like, you know what? This just isn't worth it. I thought it was going to happen next year. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was going to crash and burn so hard that it was going to happen this offseason. But now that it has, it feels like all the cards are on the table. The, the expensive guys, Tannehill, Cousins, Matt Ryan, it feels like there's just not enough wiggle room there for anything no. to happen with those three. Yeah, the salary implications are just, yeah, I don't, I don't, I think Matt Ryan, um, I think if, if there wasn't uh, the implications in terms of cap hits and all that, the salaries, um, would those guys be moved? Yeah, probably. I think there's a chance that maybe Cousins would get moved. I think there's a chance that even though I truly believe they think Cousins is not a, not a problem, they think he's a part of a solution there. But I, you know, I think uh, Matt Ryan would definitely get moved. I think there's a number of guys that, if it wasn't for, you know, I don't, I don't know about Tannehill. I think I feel like they're pretty, they're still pretty much in his corner. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, the thing with Wentz, I just think Ursay was out. You know, I think Ursay was like, this is ridiculous. Like we did, we can't have that. Like Ursay saying what he said, <laughs> you know, coming out, and I mean, it felt like a lot of subtle shots at Wentz. Um, that Ursay was taken and, and, uh, he just looked, Wentz looked like what he was in Philly. He looked like that same guy where they could not get him to remove some of the mistakes, you know, some of the dumb things that, that happen in games that just shouldn't be happening at this stage in his career. And if you can't change that, if it wasn't a Doug Peterson problem, um, because remember Frank Reich was his guy and he's still that same player. It didn't, it doesn't surprise me at all that, but you're right. I think if, if they don't flop out of it, you know, if they make the playoffs and things are a little bit different, it probably buys him more time. But I think that that sort of meltdown at the end, that's what's what that's what's going to resonate. And I think if they have the opportunity, you know, Chris Ballard's going to be aggressive. Obviously, there he was better statistically and their offense was significantly better than Philly's passing offense the year before. But if you're the 18th best passing offense in the league and your quarterback is going to do two things every single game that make right. you tear your hair out, right. where does where does that leave you? And it's it's similar with the conversation we're having about Green Bay where pulling the ripcord on this thing is a pretty big admission that you screwed up right. in chasing him in the first place. But if you're willing to bite that bullet, then I think it makes total sense. Yeah, and I you think, have a financial off ramp right now, right? You can get out of this thing. Yeah, and and I think, um, like you said, the, the the whole two mistakes a game kind of thing. You like, let's look at the Rams, okay? Sean McVay got to a point with Jared Goff where he's like, "Look, I know what his limitations are, okay?" And and the rest of the league has adjusted to me um, in terms of how I scheme, the way my offense functions, what I like to do. I need to change. 
I need a quarterback who can change with me. Okay. That has a, a, a skill set that I feel like, you know, as, as I augment what I want to do, he can do that with me. And Goff just wasn't able to do that. And he was making some of those same mistakes over and over again, where it's like, you know, McVay was like, Hey, this is a year one mistake. Like we're not, we're in year four now. You can't be making year one mistakes in year four. And I think it's a similar situation with Wentz. I think that's part of why Jimmy Garoppolo, you had Kyle Shanahan, they were, you know, looking for the Trey Lance trade. Um, because you, you, you have some teams now that are trying to be more decisive about knowing what a player is, admitting it to themselves rather than just running up against the wall year after year. And then all of a sudden you're getting fired because you, you waited too long to make the move. It's one of the biggest things that I think we've learned over the last couple of years is that the willingness to make that admission and eat the dead money, yeah. kind of lose in the court of public opinion and take whatever bad optics comes from that. If you can find the right guy, it's worth it. It's worth moving on instantly Absolutely. because that is the lesser of two evils in that situation. So looking at the the only one that would intrigue me a little bit with the expensive guys, because I think you're... Ted Hill makes total sense. They've committed to that. The way they restructured right. the contract, they they tied themselves to him for a couple of years. Cousins, I don't think it makes sense to move on right now with where right. that team is. I think you I figure agree. out what they are in 2022. The Matt Ryan thing, because they can save some money against the cap. And I think that if a team trading for him, I think he has a $16 million base and like a $7 million roster bonus. So if you look at that, that's essentially what the Colts paid Carson Wentz this year. Right. And if you're shopping in that tier of quarterback... Does a team look at Matt Ryan and think that level of stability and that answer for us in the short term would be worth it? I'm curious about that. I also am wondering whether Atlanta would be willing to do that or if they were going to have a conversation with him and say, do you want to do this? That dynamic is interesting to me in a vacuum. I don't know about all the dynamics that would be in play if that conversation were to happen with another team. Well, you know, Arthur Blank has said he's he's trying to leave it up to the front office and the coaching staff when it comes to favoritism or whatever you want to call it, you know, like Arthur blank got really involved in like the Julio Jones uh, extension. I think there was some regret on his part toward the end because he, because I think the coaching staff and the front office felt like, Hey, we're getting this massive extension because we feel like we have to, the owner basically said, we got to, you know, even though we want to fight this out a little bit more and save some money um, or some control, uh, you know, Arthur kind of leaned into it, changed things. So with Matt, I think it would be left up to the coaching staff and the front office. It's, I think you have to find a team though, that is interested in sort of like the late career Philip Rivers move, right? You yeah. know, that's, that's basically what you're bringing on. You're bringing on the latter stages of Philip Rivers, which can be good. I mean, it can be a settling effect. It's a, but it is what it is a bridge, right? It's a, it's a bridge quarterback that you're trading for. It's a narrow set of teams and a narrow set of situations yeah. that would make sense. And I, I don't know, right? Like Cleveland to me, if you're looking for somebody who's just going to be pointed in the right direction a decent amount of time, but is that worth it? Is it worth making that splashy of a move for a quarterback that is 37 years old and not have a very good season? I, I just don't know how many teams would be willing to do that. But if you're thinking about the financial realities of it, that one to me is more palatable than a move like Tannehill or Cousins. Yeah, I yeah, I agree with that. I the thing about Cleveland though too. There's a dynamic. I don't know how well that would work out with Baker. You know, I mean that's the problem is that I think oh, I'm cutting bait with Baker at that point. Oh, just, really? Yes, yeah. yeah. That, that's uh, man. <laughs> that is a 
I mean, you'd be cutting bait because I don't think there's really, you know, much of a market out there for Baker. Um, and so, you know, you'd be basically, I don't even think, you know, at this point, I don't know that you get like a Sam Darnold type of trade, um, you know, for a Baker at this point, but, um, that's probably the right move though. I mean, cause I just don't see Baker reading it as, Hey, they're bringing somebody in just to, you know, compete with me or whatever. I'm going to beat this guy. I think Baker would just be like, no, man, this is a replacement. Like they want to get rid of me. Well, if it's Matt Ryan, he'd be right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, you know, so it's, it's Cleveland's in a little bit of a tricky situation there, but I agree with you. Ryan's, I mean, he's someone who's, he's got some tread, I think, but, um, it is a narrow, it is a narrow set of teams. And I really truly believe it is a, you know, like a two year answer. And, and in that two years, you're formulating your plan for who comes in and succeeds um, this guy, which obviously the Colts did not pull off successfully after Philip Rivers. Which new regime, as you're looking at, if we, as we move past the quarterbacks here, which new regime, coaching staff or front office, is, intrigues you the most right now? Is the one that you're going to be watching here over the next few weeks based on the direction they're going to take things? I think Minnesota. Um, yeah, me too, I, actually. Minnesota's got a good roster. They have a lot of talent. And, um, you know, Quasi Adolfo Mensa, I think, is, is it was really interesting to me the, the Jim Harbaugh sort of dalliance was interesting because I'm like, wow, this guy immediately swung for the fences. Like, he was like, hey, let's, let's bring in this guy who's going to be a tough sell to ownership, who's um, definitely not the uh culture of inclusive uh, inclusivity guy with the owners um he's going to be difficult to deal he's going to grind on people but it was a weird marriage it was always a weird marriage i I just never really understood it yeah i mean it just i obviously look ownership i think i don't know if it'll ever come out or whatever but i mean like owner it was it was a tough shell for ownership like it was never gonna (laughs) happen but i thought it was interesting that he's like hey i got a track record with this guy um you know, let's bring them in and see if we can land this. But again, I think when you look at the roster, um, there's just so much to work with, particularly offensively for that team. And again, I think when, when I talked to someone there, um, after the coaching staff had kind of been settled, uh, the thought process to me was like, I want to know where they stood on cousins. They, it's pretty clear to me. They don't think like he's the problem. Like, you know, they're like, he, look, he's a good quarterback. Like they think he can be a, a quarterback who you can win a Super Bowl with him, but you know, he's not, it's more of like the Flacco situation. He's going to have to, he'll, he'll be hot, great defense, you know, great pieces around him. And, and they kind of all carry it together. Um, but they don't see him as like this impediment, even the, maybe the salary, you know, a little bit of an impediment, but um yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting to see what what Minnesota can can do because I, I think they have far more to work with than people realize. Right now, I think that their offense as currently constructed is I can understand getting excited about it. The problem is when you look at it, if he's making forty five million dollars, what kind of I think you need the right team around Kirk Cousins in order to win with Kirk Cousins. Yeah, if absolutely. he's making forty five million dollars, do does that preclude you from putting the right team around him? That's the issue to me is it's kind of a catch 22. They can start over next year. They really can't. I mean, they're, they can move on from him. They have some other expensive deals that they can move on from. I mean, this is a team that could have $85 million in cap space as soon as next off season. 
And then you have Justin Jefferson. You have a couple of young offensive linemen where you're hitting the soft reset button next year. So that's why I'm intrigued by them. It's like, all right, which direction do they take this thing? Do they try to keep kicking the can down the road with cousins and they move some money around and they think we can win right now? Or do they think, you know what, we're going to rebuild this thing in some fashion as early as next year? I, I really don't know. I mean, I think it's all going to depend on, you know, what level of success he can reach with uh, a different coaching staff around him. Um, and, you know, as you said, I, I, I still think financially, no matter what, there is a recognition inside that franchise that he is like a $30 million quarterback, like a, you know, 25 to $30 million quarterback. Like that's where, <laughs> where you'd really, even, even though the cap's exploding, even though quarterback money is going to go, you know, the top rung of it is going to go over 50. Um, Kirk kind of is what he is. And you, like you said, you have to have that capital available around him to be able to build the team that that can get there together rather than have Kirk drag him there. Is there a team that you think is going to be particularly aggressive over the next month or so that maybe we're not thinking about? Maybe a team like Cincinnati over the last two years that were surprise players for some of these guys and spent yeah. a decent amount of money in free agency. Uh, you know, I'm interested in seeing, um, I mean, Jacksonville got a ton of money to spend. And, um, I think there is a recognition inside that franchise that they have to pour every bit that they can into getting the pieces around Trevor Lawrence to make it right. They have to protect him. They have to give him as many skill position pieces as possible. I think what shook that organization up a little bit was, not just the Urban Meyer experience, but all of a sudden feeling like, like if we blow it with this kid, like we're like, who knows how long it's going to take us to, to, you know, get this right again. I mean, we might be stuck in purgatory for 10 years. Especially because um, this was supposed to be it, right? Yeah. Like this yeah. was supposed to be the golden ticket. And if yep. you screw this up, and they are well on their way to doing it, they were well on their way to doing it before changing course. Yeah, I mean, they were, and it was, you know, he had moments, but I talked, I was talking to a, like a pro personnel guy, um, down the stretch last season. And he was like, I asked him about Lawrence and he had done some prep on him. And he's like, the thing that's crazy to me is he is super cautious when he gets in the red zone. And he was like, and that's not what his game was. Like he was, he was a, always a very aggressive guy. Um, whether it was using his feet you know, trying to fit balls into spaces or whatever. And he was like, you can see though, like that some something's happened in his game where he's, he is being waiting too long and moments where he should just rip it, where he was ripping it at Clemson. And he sort of said to me, he's like, I'd be really nervous that this is going to turn into a Darnold situation. Like if you, if it's okay, it's one bad year, cap it, figure it out, take some of the, you know, weight off of him and then, you know, hit the reset, but don't let this, compile into like two years and then three and then all of a sudden it's just like it's done like he's never he's never going to be right because um as you said that is the golden ticket and and I feel like that's their entire offseason I feel like is going to be geared toward fixing everything they possibly can around him so I would expect them to be active in a healthy wide receiver market um I mean there's going to be there's like 20 pass catchers out there whether it's yeah. wide receivers or tight ends um I think they're going to kick the tires on a lot of those um, I wouldn't be surprised if they devoted a ton of their draft to the offensive line. I, I feel like this is going to be similar to like the Peyton Manning push with the Colts where they're just like, you know what, dump everything into offense until we got Peyton surrounded 
I think you're going to see Indianapolis do that. It's 100% what I would do. And if you look at it, it's not what they did last offseason, which was kind of crazy. I mean, they brought back all five offensive line starters, which I understand why you'd want to do that. But their spending last offseason was all on defensive players. They went and got a corner. They went and got a safety. They signed Ray Robertson Harris. I mean, they really didn't spend much on pass catchers. It was a pretty marginal deal for Marvin Jones is really all they did. Mm -hmm. And I can understand that because you have Chark, you have Chanel, you're trying to talk yourself into those younger guys. Now, this coaching staff, I think there's no reason to hold on to the vestiges of whatever the previous offensive roster looked like. You can start over justifiably. You can pick a left tackle with the number one pick in the draft if you want to and go from there. So that makes total sense. The team that I keep coming back to that has a decent amount of cap space, an alien on a pennies contract is what the Chargers are going to do. With that money, what what are they going to do? Is it a situation where they just completely rebuild the defensive front? Do they go out and get another pass catcher because Mike Williams is a free agent? Like what that team does around Justin Herbert, that's the one that I just I keep thinking about it because I think it could go a bunch of different directions. I I just don't know how you don't sink. You know, I think you can make additions to the offense, and that's great. But I don't. I mean, in that division, in in the AFC, um. I just don't know how you don't sink everything you possibly can into the defense. It's the AFC is a, it's funny. Cause when people talk about like Rogers, they're like, Oh, I'll go to Denver. I'm like, have you looked <laughs> at the gauntlet that is the AFC, like all the quarterbacks now that you have to go through in the AFC? In your division. It's insane. Like it's nuts. It's I, you know, uh, Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I mean, thankfully you have Justin Herbert on your team. Um, you know, Mac Jones, I know I'm leaving some guys out, you know, and there, there's, uh, I definitely leaving some guys out right now, but, um, I mean, Joe and, Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Justin Josh Herbert. Allen. Yeah. Geez, I mean, it's, Josh Allen. it's ridiculous. I mean, that, that group of guys, it's not going to be fun to and deal with. God forbid Trevor Lawrence and, and, you know, Wilson, Zach, Zach Wilson turn into, you know, if, if I, those guys turn into the players that justified the, the draft pick status. So the AFC, I, I'm just dumping everything in the defense, especially if you've got, like you said, you have the all world quarterback on the rookie contract, load the defense up as much as you possibly can right now. And, and by the way, you have a head coach who pretty good, pretty good defensive coach, you know? So he's had some success there defensively in other places. So um, I would expect that that's where they will devote uh, the lion's share of their offseason. What's interesting to me is just that the the positions they need and the ways they could build this thing, like they need like three or four Sebastian Joseph Day type of players yeah. who is a free agent, right? They yeah. don't need a $20 million a year defensive splash in free agency. So if right. you're building this thing, again, not dissimilar to the way that the Bengals remade their entire defense, yeah. where you're shopping for these guys that are five to seven million dollars a year building the connective tissue of your defensive roster they can do that i mean they can go out and get three four five of those types of guys this spring if they want to and if they do and they hit on those that team becomes really interesting in a hurry yeah i agree i think um you know look at cheeto you know chidobi awuzie i mean that was a guy who I was I couldn't believe how it turned out for him in Dallas. I was like, I really thought he was going to be, a, and then all of a sudden he goes to Cincinnati. I'm like, I recognize that player. Like he actually is, you know, he's a, he's a good, decent, you know, good addition. Um, there are, as you said, in the in the free agency class, there's going to be some mid level additions that you can make that are going to be, you know, decent cogs for you. And then I think honestly, in this draft, um, 
you know, there's you're going to have an ability to where they draft. They're going to have an ability to pick up a pretty good defensive player, I think. So the Jordan Davis um, thing makes too much sense. Just just right. drop him into the middle yeah. of the defense and just let it ride. I mean, I'm sure I'll learn. 10 different reasons as to why it's not a good idea between now and the draft. But as a draft newbie, just getting into this stuff right now, it makes sense. The last thing I wanted to ask you, I think this is an interesting time in the calendar to think about teams that maybe have a little bit more urgency and are under a little bit more pressure than we might think at first glance. Is there a regime that maybe to an outside observer would seem safe or it seems like they can play this thing on their timeline, but in actuality is under a little bit more pressure than we're thinking about right now. Absolutely. Um, Dallas, Mike McCarthy. Okay. Um, Arizona, Cliff Kingsbury. I, let me put it to you this way. Take every single team that has a good quarterback, right? Like a, a let's say a top 12 ish quarterback, any team that's got a top 12 quarterback, um, that struggles next year, take Sean Payton, stick him at the top of the list. Because <laughs> like I, if I if I'm anybody in the NFL, I'm I'm pissing down my leg about Sean Payton because I'm like this guy is gonna be. It, every owner is gonna sit there and go, "We got our quarterback. What the hell? Why can't this guy get it done with our quarterback?" I mean, look at Mike McCarthy. Basically, came out and said, "Yeah, yeah I got to deal with the Sean Payton stuff with Jerry." Like we talk about it. Like I, it's just. It's a, it was funny because like McCarthy at one point was saying it's a different deal here. You know, how do you, you just kind of have to deal with this stuff? I'm like, this is crazy. Like, you guys, <laughs> the coach is, coach is literally like, yeah, my owner totally wants to replace me. It basically says it and I'm just dealing with it here. So I would, I would say just take any, any team out there that is sitting there with a, with a decent quarterback, that quarterback under any sense of defeat next year is going to be an albatross for the head coach. Cause the head coach is going to sit there and go, they're going to want to bring in Sean Payton to work with this guy. And guess what? Sean Payton's going to be interested. <laughs> he's going to spend a year out and then he's going to be rubbing his hands together going, okay, what's the best quarterback situation with the best cap situation with, you know, he stepped out to avoid the iceberg this year because he was going to hit it with new Orleans. And I think Sean Payton knew that. I think he knew, look, if I stick around in 2022, we're liable to go five and 12. And then maybe I'm not as attractive as a head coach, but if I go ahead and step aside now, work a TV gig, make some money, um, get to, you know, get a little bit of a bird's eye view of some different, um, you know, uh, some different teams have as many conversations as I want with any owners I want. (laughs) Like it's, it's a, it's a great situation for him. So uh, but I, but especially I would say Dallas and Arizona are the two that I'm really looking at where if something doesn't, you know, click, like I, you can't have another Arizona fade in the second half. Like I up and I'll, I'll even say it. I think they're fine. I think Kingsbury's fine. I don't want to dig on. I know it's been bad. The second half fades, but they've also gotten to 11 wins after being an awful team. Okay. But next year you have to take that next step forward. And if you don't, that's regression. If you come back and you finish the way you did this year, that's regression. Dallas, no nah, man. Like you said, that stung. This loss stung, and and I think that a team is too good to fizzle out the way that they did. It's just, uh, yeah, there's too much talent there. This it's exactly what Jerry said after the season, and he's 100 percent right. They've built way too good of a roster for them to fall as flat as they yep. have the last couple of years, just point blank. And I I didn't think the McCarthy was going to be the guy to change their fortunes after Jason Garrett, and it has not happened, and it's not surprising to me. But at a certain point. They have done as good of a job of accruing talent and building a football team over the last five years as anyone else in the entire league. And you cannot be an afterthought after the divisional round when you have the amount of players that they do. Period. No, and, J- and when Jerry said 
you never know. He's like, you never know. You can't just assume that, hey, we did it. We got it all built up and this is, we're going to be fine next year. That's not how it works. It's like, everything's different. Next year could be completely different. We don't know. Like everything could go wrong. Um, he's, and he's completely right about that. So I, and, and by the way, he also has the sense that, man, he's like, Dan Quinn, pretty damn good assistant coach for Mike McCarthy. Um, Kellen, you know, Kellen Moore, he's had his ups and downs, but still pretty, you know, pretty decent, you know, uh, assistant coach for Mike McCarthy. <laughs> like should have gotten something done, didn't happen, and and that's definitely going to linger. So the Sean Payton watch is going to be fun. I think oh, it's going to be, be incredible. <laughs> is there anything that we did not hit that's on your mind this week? Something that you feel like you're asking people about, or has been a topic of conversation that we did not get to that we should? I I tell you what, I I think the Stephen Ross thing, the whole the, like Brian Flores coming out and continuing to say, and his lawyers continue to represent that they have some level of proof that Stephen Ross offered, you know, a financial incentive to lose games. Like that to me is definitely one of those stories that you know how it is with us. Like the NFL cycle, something happens. We're like, whoa, that's staggering. And then like a week later, something else happens. And we're like, oh my gosh, this is staggering. And then pretty soon it's like seven staggering things in a row. And you're like, what was that thing we were thinking about back in November? <laughs> like, I don't even remember. <laughs> but the Ross thing to me is just that will never let go. And, and yeah. they have to, not only do they, does the league and Steven Ross have to overcome this, they're going to have to prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt to everyone out there that he never said that he never offered that because it's going to strike at the foundations of the game forever. If, if, if it, even the stench even remains at all. And another thing too, in the future, moving forward, don't you think all owners have to be very careful about the whole, like, Hey, play the young guys, <laughs> you know, like you and I, we've covered the league long enough to know that like play the young guys means we ain't making the playoffs. Like go, let's, let's get the young guys some run. Probably going to lose a bunch of games. It'll improve our draft position. Now it's just sort of like, Hey man, you better go out there to win every single game, no matter what, because this is, it just, that floor is allegation. And the fact that he continues to say he has an element of proof to back it up is unbelievable. Tanking has to end on cutdown day. Like that, that's when yeah. your tanking project has to end. And yeah. if, if you did enough, then hopefully it works out well for you. But if you didn't, then you just have to let the coach handle how I was going to handle it in a gambling era. Right. Like it's so crazy. Cause we just like this is in the last like three years, it's been transformational for the league. Like, think about this 10 years from now, you and I are going to be bumping into people. I mean, hopefully on the beat, hopefully we'll still be working 10 years from now, but we're going to be bumping. <laughs> I think into there's people. a good chance. I'm not, but I'm, you definitely will be. We're going to be bumping into people in their twenties on the NFL beat that won't have any understanding of like how radioactive gambling was to the NFL. Like it was insane. It was, you couldn't have the mere even thought. Remember the whole Tony Romo thing? That like the he like got in big trouble because he did like a fantasy thing in like Vegas. Yes, or like, it was a convention that he couldn't go to because it was <laughs> fantasy <laughs> football related. Now it's like Drew Brees is like, hey, gamble with these guys. <laughs> like like he's like, it's it's you know there's sports books and stadium. Like it's just it's bonkers to me. It only seems to get more interesting. <laughs> I swear well, listen, to God. it's going to be an interesting week as we uh, do our thing here, maybe for the last time. It's kind of weird. I was getting yeah. wistful as I was yeah. driving into Indy today. I was like, man, this might be the last combine in Indy. This is, I think my, 
my 14th time I've been here, 13th okay. or 14th time. Wait, because so I came in college. Were you were you part of the experience when it used to be in the convention center and like they always had like the cheerleading? It would always overlap with like this like um pop warner-ish type cheerleading convention. You probably I do not remember this. Okay, I do okay. not remember That's that. how old I <laughs> well because for a while it you it was in the stadium. Like yeah. Even we were yeah. in the club level of Lucas Oil back in like 2009, 2010, and they only moved to the convention center probably, what, like five years ago, where yeah. we're actually in the convention center every single day? So a long time ago, it was in the old convention center. And, you know, so this would have been, oh my God, man, I'm really going to date myself here. But this would have been like, so like when I was covering the Lions, so like 01, 02, 03, 04, like in the, in, in the early aughts. And there was always this... uh it, it was like a cheerleading, um, you know, eight, nine, 10 year olds, like through high schoolers, like this massive national cheerleading convention. So it would be all of us standing in these hallways, looking out for an agent or looking out for like a, an executive or whatever. And like in, intermingled with all these, like a, a massive, like wave of cheerleaders. Like it was just the weirdest setup ever. It's, it's definitely streamlined and become a, you know, a, a whole different animal. Like before, they, they, they figured out, Hey, we can make money off of this thing. Why are we not making money off of this thing? And that changed everything. Well, I'm going to enjoy it. It's going to be nice to see you here over the next couple of days. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. And thank you very much for the time, my friend. It was took way too long for us to make this happen, but I'm very glad that we did. No, I appreciate it. And I look forward to having you on our podcast as well. So anytime that'll be awesome, man. And uh, yeah, I'll see you on the streets of Indy. Sounds good, bud. See you soon. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. One of the little benefits here of working at a company like The Athletic and being at an event like The Combine is that pretty much every single person who covers a team for The Athletic is in Indianapolis this week. It's a rare opportunity with all of our staff in the same place to have some in-person conversations. So with that in mind, I wanted to do something over the next few shows as we're here in Indy Looking forward at this offseason through the lens of some specific NFL teams, I wanted to talk about kind of the teams that are most interesting this offseason, the teams that could define this offseason, the ones that we're really going to be watching for one reason or another. And I wanted to start with the Las Vegas Raiders. And here to join me in that conversation is one of our Raiders writers, Tashawn Reed. Sean, thank you very much for doing this. I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me, Robert. Appreciate it. So. We were chatting a little before we started recording, 
And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, I wanted to talk about the Raiders, is one, we didn't get a chance to really talk about the McDaniels hire on this show. Mm -hmm. It happened in the thick of the postseason. It happened, I think, on a Sunday. So we were talking about games that actually (laughs) happened that day. And there's just so much to chew on there. And you look at the hires that they've made, and it is cut from the Patriots cloth. When you think about the GM that they chose, which we can talk about, the assistant coaches that they've chosen, it really is another experiment of we're going to try this again. And if you look at the history of this, it is not great. It has not worked (laughs) out pretty much every other time it's been tried, especially this pure of a version. You know, you've had coaches off the tree go. But when you look at the coach front office setup, I mean, the examples that come to mind immediately uh, Romeo Cornell and Scott Pioli in Kansas City, guys that were from that tree. Now you have a sort of a version of it with what's happening with Nick Casario, and we thought he, they might hire a coach from that tree. But you have this real Patriot-centric approach that the Raiders are obviously going to try to use. And it reminds me almost of Arrested Development when they're sitting on the bed talking about their open marriage. It's like, well, it hasn't worked for everyone else, <laughs> but it could work for us. So I want you to tell me, why is this going to be different? Why is this swing at the Patriots model that's happening in Las Vegas going to work out differently than the ones before? I think a big part of it is how unique the Raiders situation is. You know, I mean, it isn't often that a team, you know, coming off a 10-1 season, make the playoffs. You know, they, they almost beat the Bengals on the road who went on to make the Super Bowl. <laughs> Usually that that kind of a team isn't in a period of transition going into the offseason. But obviously with the Raiders, with how unusual their 2021 season was. Uh, and yours. Yes, very. <laughs> and like, you know, this, this wasn't the plan. You know, they expected John Gruden to be going to get, going into another season. And for obvious reasons, he's not here anymore. And so it kind of put that them in that weird spot of, you know, do you keep the interim guide? You know, do you, which we've seen, you know, it hasn't always worked out, you know, when teams do that as well. It's really never worked out. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, you know, you're stuck in between two options that haven't worked out before. But I think with this one, um, you know, in particular with McDaniels, uh, the big difference between this and his opportunity with the Broncos uh, is, is who has personnel power. I think that's a big reason why his Broncos tenure was such a failure was, you know, they gave him that personnel power right off the bat. What do you do? You know, trade Jay Cutler, uh, traded Brandon Marshall the next year drafted Tim Tebow in the first round and then, you know, he didn't even make it throughout the end of his, his second season there. And so I think, you know, having him, you know, focus on the coaching part of it, obviously he'll, he'll have that voice when it comes to personnel power. Um, but Dave Ziegler will make the final call when it comes to transactions. And so separating the two in, in that aspect and not letting, you know, the coach necessarily come in. And because th- I think the big, you know, miss, you know, the, the, the failing of a lot of these Belichick guys is they try to be Belichick. Yeah. You know what he does, he's basically the GM with, with the Patriots as well as being the head coach. And that's not the role that McDaniels is going to have this time with the Raiders. And so I think separating that and allowing him to, you know, run the offense and, you know, give his input on personnel decisions, but not make the final call and make some of those maybe mistakes that he made earlier in his career with the Broncos. I, I think that's, you know, what they're hoping will, will make this a difference from from some of the other Patriots kind of copies that we've seen in the past. It's been 13 years, right? Yeah. 2009. Think about where you were in 2009. <laughs> think about where I was. I remember the day Jay Cutler got traded. I, I was a college student. The last time that Josh McDaniels yeah. was a head coach in the NFL. I'm pretty sure I was in middle school. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. a long time ago. <laughs> this isn't a retread where it's a couple of years later. I mean, he's had a lot of time and a lot of space to think about this stuff. And I think he addressed that mm-hmm. in his introductory press conference about how he really didn't understand the personal side of this and how it was a people business. And you know, this is a 13-year stretch. We're going from a 32-year-old guy who probably did think, I'm going to just jackhammer my way through this thing. I'm going to just be a bulldozer. It's going to be my way or the highway. I know best. And I think he alluded to that. 
Now you have somebody who's 45, who's seen the league from a lot of different perspectives, who's probably had a lot of time to think about what this chance would look like. And I think that if you're trying to talk yourself into it, to me, that would be a big reason why I would have some optimism as a Raiders fan is that we're not two years removed here. We're a decade and a half removed from all of that and the lessons he could have learned from those mistakes. Right. You know, he's, he's grown as a person, you know, I'm sure I would hope so. Yes, you know, over that, yes. that amount of time, uh, you know, he's, he's older now, you know, so it's, you know, and he's won several Super Bowls. And so coming to the table, it's not this young hotshot offensive coordinator trying to tell you what to do, who you may be older than, you know, as a player. Uh, I think that, that the, the player part of it will be so key, particularly with this job, just because, you know, that the players were really behind Rich Bisaccia, the, the interim coach that they had last year. They were really rooting for him to get that job. Um, and it's not that they're holding it against McDaniels, but it is really hard if you were to come in with that abrasive personality and it's my way or the highway after a team was committed to a, a guy who got them to the playoffs. It's probably not going to go over that well, you know, and especially, um, you know, a team with so many young guys on, on, on and, and led by Derek Carr and some of these established leaders that they have. Uh, you know, I, I think he understands, you know, what he's walking into from that perspective and, and how he needs to approach it. And he learned from the Broncos situation. Um, but I, I do get the trepidation from the fan base because, you know, you know, everything sounds good in the introductory press conference. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, until you see the action behind it, you know, it's just words at the end of the day. And so uh, we'll, we'll see as he come in, comes in, uh, you know, and, and, you know, if he's able to show that he's actually, you know, different in, in that aspect, both when it comes to. You know, whether it's, you know, relate, not just player relationships, but also with his staff was totally he also pointed out with and working with the rest of the coach staff. Obviously, the staff, you know, there's a lot of guys that he's worked with in the past, uh, whether it's, you know, with, with the Patriots or with, with the Rams or in other destinations. And and obviously he has a connection with Ziggler and, and some other guys on the personnel side. And so there's a lot of familiarity up there. So you would think that they would have a good working relationship. Um, but it's some, one of those things that fans, you know, I think until they see it in action, there's going to be a little bit of hesitancy there, even without the, the amount of time that's passed. It's funny, kind of the parallels. I remember talking to Brian Dable last off season or last year you know, at the end of the 2020 season when he was a head coaching candidate. And we were talking about that amount of time. You know, mm -hmm. he got his first chance as an offensive coordinator in 2009 with the mm -hmm. Browns, the same year that Josh McDaniels was hired to be the head coach of the Broncos. And we were talking about not really understanding your voice as a coach at that point, who you want to be, how you want to communicate with players, being really rigid in your thinking. And his journey to being a head coach, a little less publicized than McDaniels because he wasn't the Patriots offensive coordinator for right. the last decade and a half. But he really did have a similar kind of the time frame is the exact same. And so I think you can absolutely talk yourself into that sort of maturation. Speaking of Brian Dable, his defensive coordinator that he thought he was going to have with the Giants is now the defensive coordinator for the Raiders. And I think if you're, again, trying to spin this in a positive way, looking at the staff that they've assembled, it's not like there are guys elevated to roles. Their offensive line coach was the Patriots offensive line coach. Their defensive coordinator is somebody who I think justifiably was getting attention for head coaching jobs as recently as last year. And as somebody, again, justifiably, that the Giants probably wanted to keep. So you look at that staff, what do you think it says about McDaniels and about what they're trying to build there, the fact that they were able to pull some of these guys that were probably in pretty high demand? I think it shows how much went into this, you know, before it was, you know, official and announced to the world. I, I think, you know, with with looping back to Dave Ziegler, the GM that they hired, um, you know, they actually interviewed him before they interviewed McDaniels. And, uh, you know, Mark Davis said that when he was talking to him, you know, he asked every GM and every head coach, you know, who would you want to work mm -hmm. with? And he said, Josh McDaniels and, and, and you know, 
Mark Davis kind of like, well, I don't, I don't know if we can get Josh McDaniels. You know, teams have tried the Colts. We saw what happened as we're here in Indianapolis. We saw what happened with that. Um, but he he was, you know, kind of like, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that that if I come, you know, he'd be here with me. Um, and, you know, McDaniels, when, he, when he's interviewed, you know, laying out which staff that he believes he could bring to the table. You know, there's a lot of stuff that I guess is technically tampering that goes into this behind the scenes. But he, he pretty much knows <laughs> the who rules he's, are not yeah, really. They're not yeah. important in this case. But like it's all, you know, it was very coordinated. And, and that's p- part of why, you know, Mark Davis felt confident moving forward with that decision. It wasn't just about, you know, McDaniels, you know, being a great offensive mind or, you know, Ziggler being an up and coming GM candidate. It was, you know, the whole picture of it all. And, and how mapped out and well it looked on paper and how it's come together, you know, in, in the early you know parts of the offseason here. I think Patrick Graham is, is the name, as you said, is the, is the most impressive hire, um, being that he was a head coaching candidate um, in previous years. And he kind of, you know, I, I think from a, a bigger standpoint, it kind of is a shift on that side of the ball defensively because totally. Gus Bradley is almost like the polar opposite of him. You know, he's very simple. He's going to be a four three front cover three single high. You know what you're no, not blitzing. You know you're getting pretty much every snap with Gus Bradley and Patrick Graham. You know I, I, he has that famous quote where they ask him what front he likes, and he says yes, basically to every front. Uh, you know, he mixes between one high and two high, and all these different coverages. And so they're going to be a lot more multiple on defense. Um, you know that that's going to you know go into their personnel and their roster and how that's built out. They're going to have to make some changes on that front. Um, but I think you know overall with the staff, you know it looks like on paper um, they're they're trying to have a malleable approach, not just on offense but defense as well. Um, and, and trying to, you know, the, you know, he McDaniels has his vision of what he wants the team to be. You know, he's not, you know, he's, he's he understands people more now, but he still has that, that level of ego that, you know, certain coaches has. You know, he wants it to be in his way, but he's he's more flexible with it. You know, he's he's not so much trying to force players or coaches in, into specific roles. He's being more open to, you know, go, doing what works best for them to win games more so than just what he wants and what he thinks is best. I'm going to talk about the rest of the roster in a second, but let's start with the big roster question. And that's what they think of Derek Carr and what Derek Carr's future might look like. If you were trying to read the tea leaves and get a sense of where that situation sits right now, what do you think the next six months look like with the Raiders and Derek Carr? I think Carr gets gets the extension. I'm, I'm not sure that it's, you know, a four or five year type extension. It is probably more so like a two year, three year type deal when you he's on, you know, he has a year, a year left on his contract. So even if it's a two year extension, he's technically, you know, on the contract for three years. Uh, but I, I just think, you know, what he's shown that that, that growth that he showed under Gruden um, getting more aggressive this past year. I mean, he was just letting it fly down there, you know, pretty much regardless of who he had at receiver with all the, you know, some of the things that happened off the field, but also Darren Waller getting hurt and, uh, I would say he's, you know, he's played like a, I would say top 12-ish quarterback. You know, you can debate it if you want. But I think he absolutely has. Yeah. I mean, this year was, it was impressive to me. Yeah. And it, I think he represents a larger question because the Raiders just in a vacuum, theoretically, when you look at him and you look at their situation, you could absolutely make an argument if you're a new regime. What could we get for him? Could we get a first round pick? Could we get two first round picks? Could we start over? But if you're going to start over, what are the chances that you're going to find a quarterback who's better than Derek Carr? If you have all these teams, Washington, Pittsburgh, Denver, I doubt they did trade him to Denver, but just again, mm-hmm. in a vacuum, Derek Carr would probably be the best quarterback available this offseason right. to all of those teams. So if you're the Raiders and you know that, that he'd be the best quarterback available to all of these other teams, why wouldn't you just hang on to him? Yeah. That's always what it felt like to me 
was the most reasonable path. And it sounds like that's probably the direction they're going to ultimately end yeah. up going. Because you, you look at this draft class, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that there can't be, you know, possibly a quarterback that comes out of this class that we didn't expect to be good that ends up being great. But it doesn't look like a very attractive draft class. So. Draft in what, 2025? Yeah, 20, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. so those, those picks, like, what are you going to get? Um, and the history then, of quarterbacks drafted 25 becoming high-level starters. Right. You can count them on one right. hand. Given so. Derek Carr is a second-round pick. But, Derek Carr no, is a lot. Drafted 25 <laughs> later. Derek Carr... Uh, Lamar Jackson, I mean, you you really can count them on right. one hand, the guys that were drafted in the late first, early second round over the last 10 years that have become quality starters. Right. It just doesn't happen that yeah. And there's no there's no free agent quarterback, I would say, that's better than Derek Carr. You know, like, when it comes to guys that you could trade for, that would be an upgrade. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, you know, it, it looks like he might stay with the Packers. But even if he – it seems like that's a pipe dream to get somebody like Aaron Rodgers or even a Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson. Obviously, there's a, that's a layered situation there. Um, it would just be so complicated to move on from him, and you're probably taking a step back at the most important position when you already have a guy that's playing at a high level. It just really doesn't make sense. Um, and, and we saw how that went, really, for, for McDaniels last time. I'm not saying – Jay Cutler, I don't think he was as good as Derek Carr probably was when he traded him. Let's not get uh, into that. That's, that's, a, that, that's a Pandora's but, box for but, me personally. <laughs> McDaniels coming in and trading away the, the franchise quarterback has not worked out well in the past. I didn't even think about that. That's a very good point. Uh, for him specifically, it's a little bit more yeah. of a hurdle that he has to jump over. Yeah. And so I, I think it just makes more sense, and especially with this team. You know, As I said earlier, it's not a rebuild. It's not, And, it, and Mark Davis does not want to rebuild. He's not trying to blow it up like Gruden got to in his first year again you know he thinks this is a playoff team obviously it was a playoff team last year and he thinks it continue to be one moving forward um and and you know it seems like trading away you know a quarterback of Derek Carr's level um just doesn't make sense and he's on you know he's on team friendly deal this one year um you know obviously it'll cost more you know if you give him extension but let's say he gets when, when you add it all up if it's three years 100 million dollars that's good that's good for Derek Carr I know that that number that's fine for the Raiders yeah that jumps out to where people, the cap is going to go yeah, like when, when people hear like the 30 million, 35, 40 million, they get like tense, but they, people have to look at how much quarterbacks are making now and what quarterbacks are making that much money is perfectly fine for Derek Carr. If you give Derek Carr the Kirk Cousins contract, the current Kirk Cousins mm-hmm. contract, which I think is about like 33, $35 million a year, when the cap goes up to whatever it's going to go up to next year, I think it's more than palatable when you consider the landscape of the position. So Derek Carr, understandable that they'd want to commit to him. How they feel about and how much they want to commit to the rest of the roster, I find fascinating because they're not going to say anything you know, during their pro- that open or introductory press conference. Not a lot of openness about how they viewed current players, the roster here in Indy, you, you know, get a couple beers in those guys and ask them what they really think of the Raiders roster. I would love to know the answer. I would love to know what those guys, as they look at this collection of players, really thinks about how close the Raiders are. And about what they need to get this team over the top. Because I think you could spin it where, all right, we have the quarterback. We have a couple pieces that we like, especially on defense. You know, you have Max Crosby. You stumble into a guy like Nate Hobbs this year. They like Morgan. I mean, what are the building blocks? Where do they go from here? How do they finish this thing off? I am so interested in what that process looks like with this regime as it relates to that current core. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's, it's an interesting roster because, you know, last season they had, you know, six, you know, walk-off finishes. And typically that kind of thing, you know, that luck doesn't translate from year to year. That's kind of, I'm wondering how close they actually are because right. I, mean, I think they have good foundational pieces in important places. But at the same time, I think the roster is not, I don't think it's a playoff team. That's what I would say. Mm-hmm. I think playoff team is a little bit of a misnomer as we talk about that. Yeah. Because they kind of followed a similar trajectory that they had in previous years where, you know, they, they start off really well. They beat some teams like the Ravens and the Cowboys, 
but then they lose to Washington, they lose to the Giants. And so they have like these really good wins and some head scratchers and, and, and some ones that make you question, you know, how good they are. And, and, you know, I think that's, you know, indicative of a young team, which is what they were. I mean, Gruden hit the complete reset button and you know, they went all in on the draft. A lot of those high draft picks haven't worked, you know, Cleveland Farrell, Damon Arnett and Henry Ruggs for different reasons. Uh, you know, and Jonathan Abram, you could, you could even throw in there. I think you uh, can. <laughs> yeah, a lot of bad free agency signings. Uh, you know, but in, in the midst of all that, they they found these guys that, that come key core, key pieces, you know, of, of their roster. Max Crosby, as you said, Hunter Renfro. Uh, you know, we're going to see. I mean, we're, we'll figure out pretty quickly this offseason because guys like Crosby and Renfro are, are due for extensions. You know, they're yep. going into the last year of their their rookie deals, and since they weren't, you know, first round picks, they don't have that that fifth year option, and so. Uh, you know, if we don't see those extensions come down, maybe we get a, a insight of how they view the roster. Uh, I, th- I think either way it goes, you know, a, a, high, uh, a positive for them and probably what made the, the job attractive to them was you know, there's a lot of flexibility with the roster. Um, I think they have around $20 million in cap space right now, and they have some avenues to create more by getting rid of guys like Corey Littleton or Carl Nassib, Nick Kwiatkowski. Um, they can fill up, you know, or, or take off, you know, tens of millions of dollars in space to, to go and make some free agency signings if they want to or make some trades. And they have all their draft picks. It's not like they're a team that, you know, s- shipped off all their first round picks and don't have any any draft capital moving forward. And so there's a lot of room for them to not completely maybe overturn the roster, but reshape it in their image if they don't like where it's at right now. And so it could, be, look, could look like a completely different team, you know, by the end of the offseason if they wanted to. And there are, you look at it, those signings that they made, a lot of those, they're financially still committed to those guys, right? Like Littleton, even if they cut him, they save a couple million bucks, mm-hmm. but it's still, I think, a $14 million dead cap. And mm-hmm. is the same way. There's a lot of money tied up in those missteps in free agency. Mm-hmm. So I think we're really two years away from seeing total flexibility. Mm-hmm. But there's also increased flexibility because even the version of the defense they committed to last year, all one-year deals, all of those yeah. Gus guys are on one-year contracts. Right. So again, you have these building blocks on offense and defense. When you look at Crosby, you look at players, even Colton Miller, right? Like you have guys at important positions that are already established. Now, how do you build around it? And with the direction they choose to go, I can't wait to see what it is. Because yeah. I do think that there is a lot to like about where they could possibly take this thing, but there's no way to know what that direction is going to look like until we start to see it in practice. Yeah, it's really, you know, uh, uh, really more so on the defense, defensive side of the ball. I feel like the offense, um, you know, is mostly, you know, most of their, their skill position guys, and, and I'm well, expecting them to keep. What about like a number one receiver? Like, right. if they think like, yeah, we sure. need like a big time yeah. guy. Maybe they go do splashy with right. that. Like, do they think they need another tackle? Like, there yeah. are some pieces on that offense. Like, all right, if we want to really commit to those spots, we could spend real resources here. Yeah, and this is, you know, kind of interesting to me to see what which positions they value. Because I think the yep. Patriots, you know, what they, you know, they until last offseason where they just went crazy in free agency, they, <laughs> they made their money on, you know, draft, finding these gems late in the draft and maybe these these one-year deal guys or, or lower money guys in free agency to end up way outperforming their deals. And so it's kind of interesting to see if, you know, Ziggler, um, you know, because we haven't really, you know, he was the de facto GM last season with the Patriots, but we haven't seen him, you know, in this position where he's making these kind of personnel moves. And so, you know, are, are they, you know, more conservative like the Patriots are and kind of find those, those sleeper guys and, uh, you know, maybe not spend a lot of time of you know, high round draft picks on some of the flashier positions or or do they swing for defenses again? You know, are, are they hanging out big deals and, you know, like I said, drafting a maybe receiver with your first round pick. And so we really don't know at this point because we haven't seen it. We've seen McDaniels, but, you know, since since Ziggler is the one in control of that, that area is kind of interested to see, you know, you know, not only, you know, how he views it, but also how much. Because that was always, I, th- I think, with fans, and that was part of the reason why that was the first question I asked him, because uh, a lot of time throughout the dynamic between Gruden and, and Mayock, it was, you know, whose draft pick is this? You know, whose signing is that? Who's making the call there? And, you know, I think it, having it clear cut 
you know, makes it a little bit easier. But I still think there's going to be, you know, people that wonder, you know, how much is McDaniel's? I mean, this is his guy. I mean, they're college teammates, you know, they work together for years, you know, and so it's kind of hard to imagine that was going to do something that's completely, you know, off the realm of what he wants. And so it's kind of, you know, seeing how that dynamic plays out and how it comes together with this roster, you know, interested to see it. Bringing it all back around, that dynamic would be encouraging to me. The fact that we've talked on the show all the time, the word that we throw out is alignment. Do you have alignment with your coaching staff and your personnel? This is as much alignment as you could possibly imagine, right? Like mm-hmm. these guys came in together. They know each other. They're on the exact same page. There's going to be that communication, that connection. This being the next one for Josh McDaniels, this being like, all right, this right, I'm ready to go again. I'm ready to wade back into this thing. We were always wondering what it was going to look like, what it was going to take if the Colts situation with potentially Andrew Luck mm-hmm. wasn't going to be enough for it. And here we are. And yeah. again, it sets up as a fascinating experiment. I cannot wait to see what their first offseason looks like. And I really appreciate you helping us walk through it. Thanks for having me on, man. Awesome. All right, guys, that's all we got. We'll be back tomorrow with Nate previewing the combine, some of the on-field workouts who can really help themselves. We'll also be chatting with a couple more of our writers here at The Athletic, previewing some of the most interesting teams in the offseason over the next couple months here. For now, please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. I would really appreciate that. Please subscribe to The Athletic. What's the deal we have going right now? Uh, it's $1 a month for the first six months, and then after that, it's direct price. $1 a month for the first six months. You guys should jump on that. As we head into draft season, you can read all of Dane's draft coverage. We have so much stuff that will be coming to you from Indy this week. If you do not have an athletic subscription, now is the time to get one. Theathletic.com slash football show. We'll be back tomorrow. For now, appreciate you guys listening. Talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.